I'm Madalika Sika, and this is 52 Weeks, 52 Books, 52 Women, the audio version. The arrival of summer means the arrival of a slew of great new books to choose from as we plan our vacation escapes. For the last few summers, that usually includes a book by author J. Courtney Sullivan, and this year is no exception. Following thousands and thousands of their countrymen, Irish sisters Nora and Teresa embark on a journey to the New World, 1950s Boston, Massachusetts. Nora is the older sister, who has had to take on the role of matriarch since the death of their own mother. She is paralyzed by the idea of leaving Ireland to marry a man she doesn't really love. Younger sister Teresa is vivacious, smart, and carefree, and is completely taken by the relative freedoms of their new life. Soon enough, Teresa finds herself pregnant, and the decision that Nora, married, takes to keep the child and claim him as her own will rupture the sisters for a lifetime. The book is called Saints for All Occasions, and author J. Courtney Sullivan joins me now. Courtney, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is a beautiful book about family relationships, secrets, and sacrifice, and it feels very authentic to me. How, how did you come to this story? Thank you. Um, you know, I think the sort of seed for the story was planted um, over a decade ago, the first time that I went to Ireland and saw this one-room stone cottage where my great-grandmother was born and raised. Uh, it's in a town called Milltown Malbay, and my great-grandmother immigrated to Boston by herself at 17 years old. And uh it was really the first time going there that this kind of really hit me in a big way, that it was because of the decision of a teenage girl um, that our family is American, that we are here now. And I never really knew anything about her. She wasn't talked about very much in our family, and she died before I was born. So um, the thought really stayed with me. And a few years later, when I was working on my book, Maine, which is about Irish Catholics, I was um, talking to some childhood friends, all of whom grew up Irish Catholic, as I did, in Boston. And I asked them what they would include in a book about the Irish-American experience. Um, someone said, include, you know, these Irish step dancing lessons we were all made to endure, and the fact that because of them, none of us can dance like normal people. <laughs> um, but someone said, write about the fact that in every Irish Catholic family there's this character who half the people in the family don't really even know exists until one day he shows up at someone's wake. And something about that really stayed with me. I think as a fiction writer, you collect these little sort of moments mm -hmm. and ideas that have kind of a shimmer to them. You might not know why, um, but you keep them with you. And eventually something kind of clicks into place and this story emerges. So it was a few years after both of those events that things clicked into place um, when I met these cloistered Catholic nuns, and that's when the story kind of emerged. We're, we're going to get to the cloistered nuns, <laughs> but um, you know, the multi-generational Irish-American family story is a popular theme in mm -hmm. fiction and literary fiction, yeah. but what did you want to bring to that genre that you felt was missing, uh, that wasn't being or hadn't been said? Yeah, I think... Um, Part of my interest was looking at that over time. So um, looking at the experiences of particularly women, but there are also many men in the book who come over from Ireland when they're young in the 50s. Um, I wanted to see 
how does that shape a family? How does a family take shape in America um, when children are raised as Americans but not by Americans, as one of the characters in the book says? Um, what does that look like? And also, I really wanted to highlight the fact that from Ireland in particular, so many of the people who came over were women traveling alone and very young women at that. Um, I think that's a you know a really interesting part of the story. Right. So many of the women I interviewed when I was researching the book, and I didn't have to look very far, they're mostly the grandmothers of my closest friends from childhood, they all came over from Ireland, you know, probably between the ages of 17 and 25 or something, mostly all of them traveling alone or with one girlfriend or one sister. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a lot of sort of, there were a lot of universal kind of elements to their travels, I would say. That's what I find, that really resonates with me. Um, I think when you think about these sisters coming over as young women and, you know, to me, Nora, the older sister, she's a brave woman. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I don't think we really ascribe to our mothers and grandmothers who make that extraordinary journey to a new country, leaving everything they know behind. And in some sense, having to become responsible for writing the new story. Exactly. Yes. And I think, that was something that, you know, with my friends' grandmothers who I interviewed, these, you know, when you're a child and someone is somebody's grandmother, you just think that this is an old lady and that's that. You know, this was sort of uh, now, many decades later, thinking about these women as they were at that time, coming over here. And, you know, I remember one of them telling me, we weren't even allowed to walk into town by ourselves. And then all of a sudden it was cross an ocean by yourself. And how do you do that? It's such mm-hmm. an extraordinary thing. Well, I think you convey that beautifully, you know, just sort of the way their life was like in Ireland and what opened up for them when they came here and how the two sisters reacted. Um, now, we do find out very early on in the book that uh, the younger sister, Teresa, is now a, closet, a cloistered nun. Mm-hmm. And we back into her story as a sort of spunky, ambitious, unafraid uh, young woman who ends up in a nunnery. Um, what inspired you to take, to write about a woman taking those vows? And especially, I think, you know, people assume that, well, if a young woman is like her, she's never going to become a nun. Right. Yes. Yes. I think especially, you know, when you're raised Catholic as I was, you imagine that nuns are born sort of fully formed and just come out of the womb, you know, wearing a tiny habit and that's that. But actually, uh, Obviously, that is not the case. And this book, um, a few years ago, I developed sort of an unlikely friendship with a cloistered Catholic nun um, who is or was a family friend, um, but I had never met her because she went into the Abbey before I was born. Um, My aunt kept telling me, you've got to meet Mother Lucia. You would love each other. You'd really hit it off. I've always thought you'd really love each other. And I was thinking, well, what on earth would I have in common with this Catholic nun? But... um, I went and visited her at her abbey in Connecticut, and indeed, I just thought she was incredible. She had such an interesting life. She had studied English literature at Yale. She was really kind of a political radical, and that was why she first came to this abbey in the late 60s um, with friends, male and female, who were interested in the wake of the assassinations of Martin Luther King and John F. Kennedy, interested in learning about the ways that different people um, practiced peace and communal living and social justice. And these nuns were doing all of those things. And they were very curious to experience what these nuns experienced. And it wasn't really about 
the Catholicism as much, even though Mother Lucia and some of the others were raised Catholic. And they kept going back again and again and again for these retreats. And ultimately, she and a few others joined the Abbey for good. And um, at this particular Abbey uh, in Connecticut, all of the women have these incredibly rich backstories. One of them, her name is Dolores Hart. She was in films with Elvis in mm-hmm. the 50s. I've and actually heard of her. Yes, yeah. and she, yeah. she gave up this huge film contract, I think it was at MGM, to go become a nun. Yeah. And, so, and there are women there who've been in politics. There are women there who've worked on Wall Street. And so uh, the idea that sort of women only would go into an abbey... Um, because they're running from something I found to be very untrue. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that one of the astute observations I think you make about the nunnery, particularly since we visit this place over decades, yeah. um, is that each nun was a product of her time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the case of your novel, Teresa was um, an unmarried uh, woman who had a child and... Yeah. She didn't go straight to a nunnery, but ultimately that's where she ended up. And I love the way you talk about the modern day nunnery. You know, the, the book is set contemporarily as well. And yeah. what it is that women are reacting to, young women who go into a nunnery now. Yeah, there has been a lot of talk about, um, at this particular abbey that I've spent time at, most of the women who join are older um, and they have a lot of life experience. But Within the cloistered community in general, there's actually been an uptick in the number of women joining in recent years, and most of them are very young women. And, um, you know, one hypothesis about that is that they just want to leave behind this constant connectedness that we all have now, their cell phones and their Facebook and all of that. At the same time, getting rid of that is extremely difficult. It's almost like coming off of a drug for some of these women mm-hmm. where the older nuns never have had access. They've never had email, so they don't right. know really, what is this? You know, this is a whole new generation of problems that they hadn't thought about before. And that seems to happen every generation. Um, and there's, you know, much discussion within an abbey about are women, what is the right reason for a woman to be here? Is she running from something or is she running towards something? And that's always a sort of a present part of their thinking. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, sort of, reading in the book about the contemporary women who go it's almost sort of like a detox for them yes Um, (laughs) exactly you know and the other thing that I thought was interesting about you know an Irish immigrant story is invariably going to include religion Mm -hmm. um but I don't think many of them include religion through that lens yeah um from the nunnery um or for women who have chosen that path what what was it specifically as someone who I don't know, maybe a lapsed Catholic, but no doubt yes. grew up in a Catholic culture. Yes. What was it about the, that lens that um, appealed to you? I think, you know, a few things. First of all, I'm always very interested in writing about um, women in the context of their historical moment and sort of the idea that the moment a woman is born will determine a lot of who she's allowed to become. In this book, um, that plays out in, in a lot of ways, but one of them is just this idea of sort of the female body and what the characters know about their own bodies and what they're um, what they're sort of in control of or in charge of. So when Teresa has this baby in the 50s, she really doesn't even know much about how babies come to be, and she, it's not really her decision to give this child up. Um, you know, decades later, other women in this family will have really different experiences with childbirth and motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, you know, certainly an abbey is a place to kind of look at women in this really particular way, women coming from all different lives. But I think also this idea, I love writing about a big group, whether it's a family or friends. Mm -hmm. uh, family, probably most of all, because everyone, you know, can experience the same moment or the same, whatever it might be, event in such different ways. And so I think she goes into the Abbey for a lot of particular reasons. And the Abbey actually makes her a more open person in some ways, whereas her family, yeah. looking at her, they think there are all these other reasons why she's there, and they're not accurate. Yeah, really. I think that that is also very interesting. I mean, I want to get to that, but first I want to ask you about this notion of women um, are sort of products of their time mm. uh, and what they're allowed to be as a product of their time. Um, and Nora, the older sister, who becomes the matriarch of the family, she's this sort of uptight, stoic figure yeah. uh, who doesn't want to reveal anything. And, you know, quoting from the book, you write, she always acted like an emotion expressed was the most dangerous thing in the world. Yeah. Um, what does she represent about that particular group of women, mm. women like her? Yeah, I think, you know, as I've been writing this book, and it took about four years, so you know, over the last five years is when I've been writing this book. And um, something that was on my mind again and again was that I think we are living in, for for the better, we're living in an increasingly open culture where we talk about things that we didn't talk about 10 or 15 years ago. Um, sexuality, mental health, all kinds of things. And um, I kept thinking, well, what does it mean to live in an increasingly open world if you live in a very closed family, a mm -hmm. uh, very repressed family. So for example, one of Nora's children is gay. Her daughter is gay, but Nora doesn't want to accept that. So her daughter lives in a world where she's increasingly very accepted um, and she's in her 40s, but her partner is younger. She didn't think a decade ago that she would ever marry or have children and now these things are possible and uh, likely for her. But her mother still wishes to pretend this has never happened, you know? Right. It seems to me that Nora, the sister who was brought up, she's brought up four children. She's been a stalwart of the community. Yeah. She's dependable. She's reliable. Yeah. She organizes the wakes and the bake sales and everything else. But it turns out to me that she is the cloistered sister. And mm -hmm. she is cloistered by that family secret yeah. from the birth of her sister's child. Absolutely, yeah. And she, you know, Nora represents the kind of person who will do anything to preserve a secret. You know, she will give away these very important relationships and bonds in her life in order to keep that secret going. And I think there's something about the fact that each sister takes on maybe the opposite role in that respect of what you might assume. But for Teresa, going to this abbey, she's meeting with people all the time who have all kinds of problems in their lives. And she comes to this conclusion that the answer is always, you know, that the, the secret itself isn't the issue. It's the keeping of the secret that will really sort of kill you. Whereas for Nora, she feels that she has so much more uh, to lose, I think, from giving a secret away. She's so controlled about everything, including her four children. But as they get older and older, now they're adults, it's incredibly hard to control every move that they make. And, um, you know, it wears on her. Well, it's certainly flipping the script to have the Abbey be a more liberating place yes. for Teresa than Nora's life can be for her. Yes, 
And I think Nora, you know, finds that very upsetting, very aggravating and thinks, well, I have so much more to lose. So that's why I would never want to give these things away. You know, she does not see the advantage to doing that Mm -hmm. at all. Now, much of your writing focuses on female relationships from your debut novel, Commencement, the multi-generational women in Maine, Mm -hmm. and now your latest book. Um, And the passage of time is also important in these Mm. stories. Yeah. Um, what, What does that allow you to do? Well, I think in this book, um, one of the things is that you see these young people come over from Ireland in the 50s, Nora and Teresa, but also Nora's husband, Charlie, and his entire family. And you see them very young and you see them making these decisions that they may or may not realize are going to you know, be part of their lives forever now for the rest of their lives. Re- decisions regarding who they marry, decisions regarding children and all of that. Um, and where they've decided to live as well. Um, I love that the book then goes 50 years into the future and you see how that has shaken out for each of them in ways good and bad. Um, And also this idea of sort of family and how it forms. So I think the book is largely about motherhood, but it's also really kind of about siblinghood. Mm -hmm. And you do have this relationship between Nora and Teresa, um, but you also have the relationships between Nora's four children who all experience um, their childhoods and their parents in very different ways for different reasons and as adults those dynamics are still playing out you know 40 years down the line Mm -hmm. well i think that that you know you're right the sibling story i think is one that can resonate with any family you don't have to be an irish catholic family yes to understand uh that dynamic um and i think you know the the structure of the book you managed to pull off what might be considered a difficult structure because you have both a story that spans 50 years and you have a story that spans a few days at the same time around the death of one of the children and the preparations for the wake and the funeral yeah um it's it's not an easy feat, but you managed to pull it off. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Author Courtney, J. Courtney Sullivan, her book is called Saints for All Occasions. You can read about this and lots of other great books by women at 52weeks52books52women.com. Courtney, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much.